James chapter one. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been in James, a few weeks, uh, but super excited to be back in it uh, tonight. T- tonight, This morning, we're gonna be in James chapter one, uh, verses 19 through 27. Hope you guys are taking notes. If not, there are pens and notebook paper in the back. Uh, so the title of today's message is Listen Up. But I got a, I got a story for you guys first. Who likes stories? All right, this is, this is not the most exciting story, but it is interesting, no doubt. Uh, the story goes like this. There's a businessman. You guys know what a businessman is? It's someone who does business, right? This, this businessman, <laughs> so this businessman, he goes on an extended journey, okay? So he's, go, he's gone for a little while. It's like a, he's taking a few-month vacation or whatever it might be. But while he's gone, the business still needs to run. And so he assigns someone uh, and a few people over uh, his business. They say, hey, I'm going to be gone but daily. I'm going to send you instructions. I'm going to give you directives. Uh, and I just need you to make sure that you carry them all. Do everything I say. And make sure that you read them to the other employees so that everyone's on the same page. Uh, this is important. And I expect you to send me responses and updates. Let me know how the business is going. Make sure it's still profitable. And so he leaves and he's gone for some time, and, but he's not really hearing back from, from the guy. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm a little concerned. So uh, he heads back home to his business and he's been gone for you know, a few months. And he decides that he goes and he arrives back and, and he was expecting to see profit happening, you know, normal weird business talk and stuff like that and people doing work. Yet he gets back and everyone is just laying around. It's kind of like leisure time. They're hardly doing anything. And as you can imagine, he's extremely frustrated. He's angry, actually. And so he goes up to the guy that he uh, put in charge. And he's like, dude, what's up? What is going on? Why are you guys just laying around? And he says, what is wrong? Why are you so upset? The businessman asked. Did you not receive all the instructions I sent you? And so he's upset. And so he's asking these guys, I sent you instructions, what's going on? And so it says that the man replied and said this, yes, we did receive your instructions. They were wonderful. Each set of instructions were read over and over. And he said, I even put portions to memory. I was even memorizing all the things that you sent. He said, once I had thoroughly studied them, I even shared them with the rest of our employees. In fact, we took time daily to study and discuss them together. We all really enjoyed all of your instructions. But the man asked one question, The businessman looks at him and says, if you thought so much of the instructions I sent, why didn't you do what I told you to do? It's interesting, and and we can relate it to the Bible in this way, that uh, it's not enough just to enjoy the Bible or just to hear it. That God expects us as we read it to go home and do it. That it's not just to stay in this, this building here today, that it's to go, as you go to school, it's to go into your schools. As you go home, it's to go into your homes, and in this place, you're going to be asked a question today over and over, are you doing God's word? We saw in the first part of James chapter 1 a few weeks ago when we were together, uh, we talked about trials, and we talked about the role that they play in our life and how God uses them and how we're to seek God in the midst of them. We talked about temptation and the reality that it's on us, and it's our responsibility, In the end of the last study that we were together, we talked about the goodness of God, that everything good in our life comes from him. And so we come to the place in James chapter one, verse 19, and we're gonna read down to verse 27, all right? So I'm gonna read it out loud. You guys look in your Bibles and and just read along with me in in your heads, okay? So verse 19, James one, it says, so then, my beloved brethren, 
Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Verse 27, final verse. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, just that you give us instructions. Lord, may we not just be hearers today. May the things that we learn and the things that we take in and the notes that we write, may they not stay in the pages of our notes, but, but may they Uh, be lived out in our everyday actions. God, give us faith. Give us uh, your strength. Lord, we need you. God, we ask as we just study through your word that you would make, Lord, the words pop out at us. Lord, that you would speak to us in a powerful way. God, we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, James chapter one. Uh, The first section today is gonna be entitled, Not So Fast. Uh, Not So Fast. We're gonna look at the first two verses in our text today, verses 19 and 20. Not So Fast fast. It begins and it says, so then, right? In verse 19, it says, so then. This, what does this mean? Well, you see, he's calling on, on what he just was talking about. He was talking about the goodness of God, how everything good in our life, we can point back to it was the source was God. And so he says, in light of that, in light of all the good things God has done for us, he says, understand and know this. He says, take note of this thing. And, and we go on in verse 19 and we see uh, we're giving three actions, three things that we are to do with his goodness in mind. Number one, we are to be swift to hear. We are to be swift to hear. What does the word swift mean? Quick, quick right? You guys were quick on that. That was no delay. And that's what it means. It means quick or prompt with no delay that we are to be quick to hear. The type of hearing that it's talking about is not just where uh, it goes in one ear and out the other. You know, some of you guys are going to go back to school, and you guys are really bad listeners, and you're going to be in class, and you're going to be like, this is so boring, and it's going to go in one ear, and it's going to go out the other. You see, the type of hearing that this is talking about is, the, is hearing with intentionality that you're actually wanting to understand and to know. And so the first thing, very simple, quick to hear. You can write it down, quick to hear, swift to hear. Number two, it says that we are to be slow to speak. Now, when it says slow, it doesn't, it's not talking about uh, uh, in, into, intellectually. It's not talking about that slow, like you're supposed to be dumb in the way you speak. It's talking about timing, not intellectually. It's talking about how we should speak in the way of when. That we are to not speak quickly or rashly. Just how we are to be quick to hear. Now the opposite, we are to be slow to speak. That we are to think before we speak. Have you guys ever heard that from your parents? 
man, you need to go in your room and you just need to think before you decide what the next word that's going to come out of your mouth. Have you ever heard that before? You need to think before you speak. You got to think about it and then you talk. It's something that is definitely learned, but sometimes we don't do it so well. The Bible says this, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20 says, do you see a man hasty or quick? Hasty just means quick. Do you see a man quick in his words? There is more hope for him than a, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Kind of harsh words, but it's true that someone that doesn't think before they speak and they're just ready to fire away and it's dangerous. And it says that there's more hope for him than a fool. So we are to be what? Slow to speak. Has your mom ever maybe told you uh, you have one mouth and two ears for a reason? Ever heard that one? Well, what do you think the reason is? Why do you think you have one mouth and, and two ears? Oh, not if it was normal. You have two ears because you're supposed to listen. How much? Twice as much. Twice as much as you speak. Sorry. Twice as much as you speak, we're supposed to be hearing. You see, we are to be slow to speak. Have you guys ever heard of a filter? Yeah, you know, filter. So at our house, we have a fridge, but this fridge is not super fancy. It's kind of older, so it doesn't have one of those fancy little, you know, water spigot things. So we have to, call, we have to buy what's called a Brita. Have you guys ever heard of it? Brita filter, yeah, you, you get a little pitcher, there's a little filter in the top, and you pour the water in. See, Chino, it doesn't have the best water, so you can't just really drink it from the tap. It's, it's, it's too hard, the, the term is. It means that there's some calcium buildup and kinds of things you don't want to put in your body, so you need a Brita filter. So you pour the water in, it filters it through, but what's the point of that? It gets what's not, what you don't want out, and some of us, we've got to learn to put a filter on our mouth. We got to Weed out all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Have you, have you guys ever spoken before and you say something and you're like, oh, I should not have said that? Yeah? All of us have experienced that. Why? Because we just said it without thinking. We were, we were quick to speak and not slow. But you see, sometimes we have it backwards. We're slow to listen and quick to speak. But the Bible gives us a very practical application. And number three, we can all relate to. Uh, we are to be slow to wrath. Again, the slow is not intellectually, it's timing. It's talking about that it should take a while. Now, it's by a raise of hands. Who believes that anger is a sin? If you get angry, you are sinning. Yeah. So there's something in the Bible that describes, uh, that is described, it's called righteous anger. You see, God has this, and he says that he's angry with the wicked every day. So is God sinning? No, because his anger is right. For example, if someone hurts one of your family members, should you be angry with that person? You should be. Now, what you do about your anger, that determines whether uh, you're in sin or not. But the anger is a natural thing. I love this person, and this person just ran into them because they were drunk driving. I'm upset. I'm angry now. Now, if you're going to go and kill them, yeah, now, now you're in sin, right? It's a little, a little extreme. But you see, the anger that you feel, I mean, what about terrorist attacks when, when people come and uh, whether it's shootings or bombings or 9-11 or whatever it might have been, should we be happy with those people? No, we should be angry. Now, what we do with our anger, that's something different. So you might be angry with something, with an injustice, but what you're doing about it, that determines whether it's sin or not. Ephesians 4.26 says this. It's quoting actually Psalm 4.4, but it says, be angry and do not sin. You see, there's an anger that we can have that's okay, 
But even within that anger, we are to be like God. Even to say we are right in this anger, that I'm upset because it's an injustice and I'm angry. Now you can have that, but to get to that point, we should be very, very slow. Why? Because God is described in the Bible multiple times that he is slow to anger and we are to be too. See, what's the opposite of slow anger? The opposite of slow anger is a hot temper. You guys know anyone with a temper? Yeah, maybe you guys have a temper. Maybe your dad has a temper. Maybe you know someone. Maybe you have a friend. You see, a temper is something when it's out of control. It's quick. That It's quick. It's, uh, someone goes from zero to 100 in five seconds. You just simply said the wrong thing, and they're all fired up now. You see, as a Christian, we are to be opposite of that. We are to be slow to anger. But why are these things in this order? Why is it swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath? Where, well, sometimes it's easy to look at things if you do the opposite of them, if you look at them in the reverse order. Then number one, if you are slow to hear instead of quick to hear, if you're not willing to listen to what other people say, then most likely you're going to be quick to speak and not slow to speak. And when you're not willing to listen and you care about what you say more than what other people have to say and you're quick to speak and you're not thinking and you don't have a filter, wrath will come in a very rapid way. Why? Because you're jumping to conclusions. You won't hear people out and, and, and things will happen like that. And these, th- these three things, they're very practical, aren't they? I mean, who, who, who do you think, raise your hand if you think you could work on just being a little bit of a better listener. Be a little bit quicker to listen. Yeah, totally. Two hands up. How many of you do you think uh, you could be a little bit better at just, man, keeping your mouth shut a little bit more and, and kind of having a filter? Oh my gosh. I, if I could put my legs up. Raise your hand if you could be a little bit slower to, to anger. I know I can. Sometimes I get fired up. Sometimes I get really fired up and it's not good. But God says these very practical things, they are doable, Right? All of you guys just rose your hand. They're doable. God's word is practical. What he asks of us is something doable, but are we willing to do it? You see, what's the reason? Why should we be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath? Well, look at verse 20. Not so fast. Look at verse 20. It says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The word produce, you can put it up, Haley. It means uh, to achieve or to accomplish or to bring about that a hot temper will not produce the righteousness of God in your life. What is it talking about, righteousness of God? It's talking about his character. That when you have a hot temper, when you are not willing to listen, when you are more than willing to speak without a filter, that God's righteousness, his character, who he is, will not be able to be produced in your life. Think about it. Think about someone godly who just loves the Lord. Do you think of that person having a temper? You don't. I think of just some of the, the people in my life that I look to and I just know that they love the Lord and they're godly. When I think of those people, I don't think of them in light of a temper. Why? Because when you, are, when you have this type of attitude, you will not be producing what God desires your life to be. You see, when you aren't willing to listen, when you think what you have to say is more important, when you get fired up real fast and you go from zero to 100, then you will not be able to do the things he wants you to do. It's just how it is. But when you work on these things, God is able to work. And so what is, what is the conclusion? Well, we're going to look at the next se- section. It's called Just Do It. And we can look at the 
verses 21 through 25, that we are to just do it, that there's a therefore, there's a continuance. So what do we do with this stuff? Well, what if today you would be like, man, yeah, I need to work on some of these areas. Wow. Well, there's hope for you. The Bible gives direction. Verse 21, it says, therefore, lay aside all these things. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. With these things in mind, lay them aside. Lay aside means to stop or to take off, to put aside or to put away, to get rid of. It's like removing uh, dirt from your body. Who, Who went to camp? Raise your hand. All right. Some of you probably didn't change your clothes like the whole time. That's scary. But some of you got home and maybe your clothes stinked and stunk, stunk, or stinked, stink, stunk, right? Yeah, your clothes stunk and you want to, you, you, you're like, mom, I got to do this laundry because these clothes are bad, right? And you maybe ripped your clothes off and went into the shower and you're like, I'm just so tired and, right? That you're laying aside those things that camp's over, so now you're laying them aside. It says that we are to lay aside filthiness. This just means uh, dirtiness or moral impurity, overflow of wickedness, that there is an abundance there. I want to share a few verses with you that talk about this laying aside. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. That the same word when it says put away, it means to lay aside the anger, clamor, that all these different things uh, evil, evil speaking, wrath, these things are, are something that we are to put aside. When it says anger, it's talking about the, the hot temper type of anger, not the righteous anger. Colossians 3.8 says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these things. Same word, it's laying aside anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, that this should not be the things that mark the life of a believer. One more verse, Romans 13, 12, says, let us cast off, same word as the put off, as the lay aside, let us cast off the works of darkness. It was awesome at camp. Some of you guys got baptized and I love the picture of baptism. The picture, it's, it's a symbol, right? There's nothing like the, the waters don't turn into like this weird, crazy, mythical thing. No, nothing like that. That's just a symbol. It's a representation of what's going on in someone's heart. And what does it represent? It represents when you dunk them and they're under the water, the water is supposed to represent a a cleansing effect in a sense. It's the Holy Spirit cleaning that person, that that the sin and the things that they dealt with, that they are laying them aside. and, And what their sin, they're leaving in the water. That when they come up, when they resurrect in a sense out of the water, that they are saying, I have laid those things aside and I have a new life that I am a new creation. And that's kind of the word picture that it's a turning away from something and it's a turning uh, toward something else. And we see in verse 21, look at you Bibles, it goes from negative to positive. He says, lay these things aside, but then he says, receive the word. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. When it says receive with meekness, it means to humbly accept being willing to be submissive and teachable. What, are, what, what should we be receiving? It says the implanted word. That's kind of weird. Well, think about this. Have you ever heard of the parable of the, of the sower? Right, the, it goes like this. Jesus says it and uh, there's some symbolism and different things in it. But he says that someone goes out and he has seed with him and he starts to begin to scatter all of the seed. And the seed, it falls on a few different types of soil. 
Some of the soil that it falls on, it has rocks under it, and so it can't take root. Some of the soil has thorns that it comes up and, and squeezes and, 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 and ruins the seed. But then there's one of the soils that, oh man, it's, it's good soil. That's able to get deep and, and it grows some roots. You see, when it says the implanted word, thing of planting, that God gives us his word, but it's up to us whether we will receive it. That some will only listen. That for the parable of the, of the sower, that we see some of those, those, the seed that's represented, that's the word of God. And on some people, it's going to kind of fall in deaf ears. And it's not going to take root. And that's where verse 22 comes in. Are we just hearing or are we doing? Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It says, be sure you actually do this. That those three things that we talked about in the beginning, the laying of the aside and the receiving of God's word, make sure you're not just receiving it just to do nothing with it. You see, we were instructed to be quick to listen, but we are also to be quick to act. Quick to listen, but quick to act. You see, if you listen and you hear God's word, but you do not do, you might think everything is good, but it's not. It says the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. It means that you're, you're delusional, that you're self-deceived, you're fooling yourself. It's kind of like maybe you guys have an addict in your family, or maybe a friend that you know that's someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol. And in so many cases, or maybe you've heard stories, in so many cases, uh, they, they'll say they're not addicted. They'll say, no, I, I, I could stop drinking whenever I want. I just don't want to. I just like it a lot, so I'm going to keep doing it. And they do it every day in an excess. You see, they're an addict. They're addicted to this stuff. But they're self-deceived. They're delusional. That they could say something out of their mouth, but it doesn't make it so. And, and for, in a similar way, that, that the idea of being deceived, that we deceive ourselves, when we come to church and we, and we hear God's word and we think, we're, oh yeah, I'm good with God and everything's good. And then you go home and you forget everything you heard. Or that in the morning that you might spend time reading your Bibles, but if you leave it there in the morning, it's not going to produce anything. That it's about not just the hearing, but the, now the doing. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. Uh, if you don't know where Ezekiel is, it's uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it's one of the, the major prophets. Um, if you don't know where it's at, you can go to your little Bible concordance or, sorry, uh, the table of contents in the front, and you can look at where it's at and turn to that page. But Ezekiel, I want all you guys to turn there, Ezekiel chapter 30, verses 30 to 33. Ezekiel chapter 33, it's after Jeremiah, it's uh, before the book of Daniel. If you went to some of those tiny prophets with all the weird names, you went too far. Ezekiel chapter 30. 33, sorry. You can look on the screen if you for forgot the reference. If you guys are taking notes, you can write down in your notebook, Ezekiel 33, 30 through 33. And you can just write down next to it, a sweet song. It'll make more sense in a second, but you can just put a sweet song. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet, right? So he was sent by God to go and deliver God's word to the people of Israel. And so Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 30, it says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. 
And so it says, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. And he says, a lot of people are talking. That they're talking about you and, what, and the message that you have from me. And they say, let's go hear. Let's go hear what they have to say. But God says this about their hearing. It says, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words. But it says, they do not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love. Much love. Say, much love. But their hearts pursue their own gain. Their hearts pursue their own gain, that they are only hearing, not doing. But verse 33 is the kicker. It says, Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. You see, people were coming to Ezekiel saying, I want to hear what God has for me. But then they weren't doing. That They were there and they're like, man, Ezekiel, that was such a good illustration. Oh my gosh, Ezekiel, you're so funny. Wow, this was really, this impacted my heart, bro. This was good. This was good for my soul. But then they would leave hearing him and they would go into their everyday lives and they wouldn't put to action the things that they were doing. You see, to them, it was just a sweet song. That was, it was a pleasant voice, and oh man, it just sounds so good, but I don't actually want to do those things. Is that you today? Is coming to church or hearing God's word or reading it for yourself? Is it just kind of like, oh yeah, this is nice. I'm not against it. It's, it's cool. It's sweet. I like the way it sounds. I don't mind. It's cool. It's awesome. But when I get home, I'm not actually going to do any of the things that that guy was saying. You see, and so we have this comparison of someone who only hears and does not do. Look at verse 23 and 24, back in James. You can flip back to James chapter one, if you guys aren't there already. James chapter one, if you look at verse 23 and 24, it it compares someone who's only a hearer. And he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And you're like, this is kind of weird. Why is he looking in the mirror and then how does he forget so quickly? See, and it's, it's an illustration for us to understand. When it says observes his natural face, it means that he was looking at himself for a good while, that it wasn't just a glance, that he was carefully observing. But then it says that he forgets, meaning that he has no memory. How many of you guys look in the mirror ever? Yeah, some of you probably a little too much and some other of you probably... You need to look in the mirror a little more before you come to church, some of you guys. Right? When you look in the mirror, you see what? Eye color. You see, you know, if you have a booger hanging out, if you have some eye crusties, if you've got to comb your hair. You see all those different things. But he says, this person, what does the mirror represent here? What, he's, what the example that he's giving is that it's only temporary, that it's only momentarily for the time that he's looking in the mirror. He sees it, he knows, he understands, he sees what he needs to fix and all that stuff. But then when he leaves, he's like, oh, I'm good. You see, in the same way, someone who just comes to church or comes to God's word in the morning or whenever it might be, and, and you're looking and you're like, yeah, I need to fix this or this is good or God's speaking to me this way. But then you leave and you don't actually put it into action. It's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. There's no, it's not producing anything in your life, that it's only temporary and momentarily. But then we see in verse 25, we see the description of someone who actually does what he hears. Look at verse 25. It says, but he who actually looks, sorry, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, 
but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So he's actually, he's looking into it. When it says looking into, it means to examine carefully, with intentionality. It's the same, it's the same word that's used to describe uh, after Jesus had rose from the dead and Mary was there at the, at the tomb and, and, and then he, she thinks like Jesus is a gardener and there's this, all this interaction and she's like, oh my gosh, the tomb's empty and she's crying and there's angels and all this stuff. Well, eventually she goes back and she's like, she talks to John and Peter and he says, oh my gosh, the, the tomb is empty. God, Jesus has rose from the dead. And so John and Peter, of course, excited, it says that they run to the tomb. They sprint there and it says the exact word this looks into is in there, just it's in a different form. It says that they stoop down looking into the tomb to find nothing there. You see, but when they were stooping down, they were excited. They were they had intentionality behind. They were, wanting, they were looking for someone or for an empty tomb. It's the same word, or it's the same word when the Bible says that angels have desired to look into the things that we, that we get to experience, the gospel, what Jesus did, that they look into. It talks about a deepness and a diligence of meditation. And this is how we are to come when we come to God's word, that there should be, there should be that excitement. There should be that wanting to look into. And so it says that he looks into the perfect law of liberty. For me, I was like, what the heck is the perfect law of liberty? This is, this is kind of weird. The perfect law of liberty is just God's word and his gospel. You see, Psalm chapter 19, verse seven says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. That God's word is without error. And when we look into it, we can trust it to be perfect. But God's word only, isn't only just perfect, but there's freedom in it. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth gives us freedom. That as we come to God's word, there is liberty. That's what liberty means, freedom. That when we come to it, he calls us into a state of freedom, that we no longer have to sin, but we get to serve him. And, and it's a delight to do it. That doing these different things that God asks us to do, man, it's, it's delightful as a believer, that we enjoy doing it, that it's not bondage, but he actually, this, this person that verse 25 is describing, that he looks into God's word, how it's perfect and how there's freedom in it, but it says that he continues in it, and that's the key. It says that he continues in it, that it wasn't just a lovely song to him. It wasn't just a one-time theme, but there was a habit of doing. It says that he wasn't a forgetful hearer. To forget something in this way, forgetful means unawareness caused by neglect, failure to remember. Some of you is awesome. I see you guys, you're taking notes and you're wanting to remember. And that's how you learn because I know that some of you guys go home and, and you want to put this stuff into action, but some of you are almost asleep. You're like, when is this guy going to get over? I'm, I'm over it. See, God's speaking to you and you're hearing it and you're responsible for the things that you hear. But are you going home and doing it? Well, we see that there is a special blessing in obedience. If you look at the end of verse 25, it says, this one will be blessed and what he does. There's a guy named by the name of H.A. Ironside. For some reason, all those old guys, they have all like the, the short names where it's like C.S. Lewis, C.H. Spurgeon, H.A. Ironside, right? And this guy, his name's H.A. Ironside, but he has a very simple quote, and it says, blessing is in the path of obedience. Blessing is in the path of obedience. That it's not that there isn't a blessing when you just hear God's word, it's a blessing, but the blessing can really come to 
uh, completion when you go and you do it. But today the question remains, are we doing God's word? Even the things that we hear right now, do we have the intention to go home and actually do them? Are we willing? Well, we're going to see in these last two verses, verses 26 and 27, the last section today is we're going to see religion done right. Religion done right. Verse 26 and 27, I'm going to read them again. And we're going to see in this section, religion done right. It says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. It's worthless. It means nothing. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See, we see a word come up twice that we're kind of, that we kind of push back against just within our church culture, and that word is religion. That because of, I think, it's abuse in so many ways that so many Christians have said, oh, I'm part of, so many people have said, I'm a part of the Christian religion, yet it's like they don't even teach the Bible. And so there's been a lot of abuse, right? I don't know about you guys, but when I think of religion, it's like, oh, no, stay away. I don't want religion. I'm supposed to have a relationship, right? And we hear that. But religion is not a bad word. It's not a curse word by any means. But what does it mean? It shows up five times in the New Testament, either religion or religious, only five, but it means in Latin, it means to bind back. You're like, what is that? To bind back. The concept and idea behind it is that it would rebind man to God. It would rebind man to God, to bind back. There's a guy named Noah Webster. Uh, he's an old guy who made a dictionary. Maybe you guys have heard of it, Webster's Dictionary. But he says this about religion. He says, it's the service or worship of God or the supernatural, a personal set or institutionalized system of attitudes, beliefs, and practices. And that's what we do here. That's, that's what we do. We worship God. We have the same set of attitudes and beliefs that we all come together. Religion's not a bad thing as long it's, as it's according to the Bible, but so many of it is abused. But the core and foundation of our religion is, of course, that relationship with God. It's what sets us apart. It's what uh, puts us above every other religion, not because we're better, but because our God is real. Our God is greater. But this, so this idea of religion, he says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, but he can't control his tongue, it's worthless. It brings us back to the beginning, right? What, what do we talk about in the beginning? How are we to uh, speak to one another? Are we to be really quick to speak or are we to be what? Slow to speak. And so he goes back to how we speak. But what do you guys think? Just give me some qualities or some characteristics of someone who you would think is really religious or really godly. Give me some qualities. Of, I know I have people in my life where I'm like, man, I just, I, when I'm around them, it's like they're literally, they just represent God. That they're soft, they're kind. Okay, but that's for you guys to, yeah. Uh, one that is like not being tempted and they can like... So they got some self-control? Yeah, they have more self-control. For sure. What do you think? Patience. Patience, all right. What else? Well, there's, maybe you look to Pastor Jack and he's like, man, that guy is like, he would be defined as religious, right? He's a pastor of a big church, all that stuff. What, what other kind of characteristics or qualities might someone have? Yeah. Kindness, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so they're sharing the gospel with people. Sage? Huh? Okay, tradition. Okay, Tim? What was it? 
a good listener, right? No, totally. You come to them with anything and they would be like, oh man, let's, let's deal with that problem, right? But what you don't think about when you think about someone who's religious or godly, you don't think about them having an uncontrollable tongue. You would almost, you couldn't even imagine them talking bad to you. Why? It's because we have this idea of, of what someone should be, of what we should be. And if we're calling on the name of the Lord and we're saying that we're following him, but we can't control the way that we speak, the Bible says it's worthless. Bridle, it means to turn or to curb something. Does anyone have horses in here? Does anyone ride horses? All right. Does anyone like horses? All right, cool. You guys know what a horse's bridle is? All right, it's that little thing that goes in their mouth and then the reins are connected to it and you're able to control them either way. You see, that, that same concept is here that, that we should be able to bridle our tongue, control it. Uh, we should be able to turn it, that even though we want to say something, we should be able to have some self-control. But if we don't have that, but we do all these things for the Lord, say, say we, we talk really mean to people and we, can't, we don't really have that filter on what we say, but we go on lots of mission trips, but we help lots of like homeless people every month, but I, I just, my, my words get me. The Bible says that your religion is useless, empty, pointless, worthless. Like, wow, that's harsh. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love. Have you guys ever heard of it? Yeah, it talks about what if someone goes out and, and is willing to die for their faith, that they feed the poor, that they speak uh, in angelic tongues. The Bible says that if they don't have love in the way that they deal with people, it says that they are like a clanging symbol. They are annoying. It's for nothing. It's worthless. That God cares not just about what you do. He cares about the doing, and we're going to see that in a second. But more importantly, is your heart right with him? The way that you deal and treat with people, is it in a loving way? You see, the bottom line, verse 27, the bottom line. We see, it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Pure and und this is what God desires from us. Bottom line, he desires uh, from us that we'd be pure, sorry, that that this is pure and undefiled religion. It means clean, guiltless. And what would it be? It'd be that we would just visit people. But what kind of people? Well, it says orphans and widows. Who, what's, an, what's an orphan? Yeah. Okay, so they've lost their parents, right? What's a widow? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's someone who's lost their spouse, right? Typically a woman. So what do those two have in common when it says to visit the orphan and the widow? What do they have in common? Yeah. Either one. They lost, they lost not just something, they lost someone. They lost someone extremely close that, uh, man, do you think there's hurting in their heart? Do you think there's pain in their life? You see, it's not just that, okay, are you an orphan? No? Okay, I can't visit with you. No, no, it's a, it's a principle here that, that those are in, who are in need, right? To visit them in their time of trouble. It's those who can't take care of themselves to some extent, that they need outside encouragement. They need just a visit. I love that it says visit, right? It doesn't say you have to go and then provide their every single need for the rest of their life. No, it says just visit with them, that there's some kind of friendly intent there. Now that can look sometimes like uh, caring for, whether you see the homeless guy and, uh, or you see the, the little kid at McDonald's and that seems homeless and you can buy him a hamburger, right? Sometimes it looks like care in that sense. But it's interesting because so many people love to take advantage of people in need. That the world, they see people in need, 
and they jump on it. They see opportunity for money or whatever it might be. But for you and I, it should be the opposite. That we should look at people who are hurting, who, are, who have lost something, who are in need, and we should go to them. Why? Because that's how God is. Psalm chapter 68, verse 5 says that he is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. That God sees someone without a father and his heart breaks and he, and he, he wants to become their father. That he, he sees someone taking advantage of, of a widow because their husband's not around, he will defend them. But you and I are to have the heart of our father this morning. Deuteronomy 27, 19 says, curse is the one who perverts justice do the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. So what do these have in common? They don't have people in their life that can defend them. But you and I, we are to defend, we are to visit, we are to provide for, we are to support. That that's, that that's religion. That that is what we are to do. That that is what being a Christian, that, that those should be our actions. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor. Those who are oppressing the needy, rebuke them. Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Over and over again in scripture, this is our call, but are you doing it? This is convicting to me. I know uh, me and my wife, we were at, uh, have you guys ever been at 85 degrees? The salt coffee and bread and so good, right? We were out there and then we came out and there's this woman with, with her baby and she didn't speak any English, so we weren't really able to share the gospel with her, uh, but we went and bought her Wendy's. And of course, in my, the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, we should, we should do this just because I know what the Lord has called me to. But also, I'm like, okay, I'm teaching on this kind of tomorrow. I should, you know, that's just, my, that's just my heart, evil, deceitful. But it was cool. It was cool just handing her food. And there's been other opportunities where you just take advantage of it. But are we actually doing the word? Do, do we just hear about doing good things and stuff like that in church? Like, oh, yeah, we should, yeah, people should really do that. And then you just kind of go throughout your life. No, there should be action but there's, this thing is double-sided. It says uh, that we should visit orphans and widows, but also that we should keep ourselves unspotted. Unspotted, without spots, means without a stain. It's amazing that I'm wearing a white shirt today and it's clean. It uh, wasn't always. It's funny, I can only wear white shirts on Sunday because I know I'm not gonna be like eating a lot, you know, and doing that type of stuff. But I just, I remember we, I bought a shirt a while ago from Costco and it was a white shirt, you know, Hurley or something. It was like 13 bucks and I was like, sweet. And I wear it like three times and it has stains all over it. It's like mustard and all this crazy stuff. But we're, you guys, I'm sure are familiar with getting stains. If you have white shoes on today, wow, more power to you. That's amazing. But you see, we're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. That so easily the world will want to uh, have influence on us and they will try to stain us, but we are to keep ourselves unspotted. Anyone weird about like raw meat? You're like, Man, raw meat, like, once you handle that, like, you need to go take a bath, like, because I don't even want to, I do not want you to get cross-contaminated. I know some people are just super weird about it. They're like, oh, you touch raw meat? Never touch me again, right? And they're like, just crazy. But why? Because there's this reality of cross-contamination, that you could get sick if you eat, you know, if you have stuff with raw meat on it, especially raw chicken. But for you and I, we are not to be cross-contaminated with the world, we're not to have those dealings, that we, as Romans 12, 2 says, that we are not to be conformed to this world, that we're not to fit in to their mold. You'll get stained. There'll be cross-contamination, but we're called to be separate. That the world sees needy, they see orphans, they see widows, 
And though whatever they might say on the outside, there's always a motive of self-gain that they want to take advantage, but we are to be like Jesus. And all these things, they're doable, right? Aren't they doable? You have a dollar in your pocket and you're at McDonald's and you see someone who's in need, help them. God put you in, their, in your path for a reason. That when there's opportunities to go on mission trips, go on them. When there's opportunities for serving things, go on them. You guys know someone who maybe have lost, lost someone in their life? Go and encourage them. That this is what we are to do. That we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Uh, worship team, you guys can come out. We are to listen up. We are to close our mouth. We are to calm our hearts and we're to care for those in need and we're to stay away from the, from the world. I've been wanting to share this with you guys. Uh, who went to the brunch and bingo event a few weeks ago? Super cool. If you guys don't know what it was, we just had an event uh, where... Uh, anyone over the age of 65 here at the church, we just wanted to bless them with food, and uh, we played Jeopardy with them, and it was just super cool. It was free for them, uh, because there's a lot of people in our church, I don't know if you know that, they're lonely, that there's, there are widows in our church that they lost their husbands, and so now they live at home alone. And for us as a body, we're to come alongside them and bless them, whether it's just as something simple, just with, with food and playing Jeopardy. It was awesome because uh, we got a letter sent. This is, from, this is all for you guys, junior high ministry. That's, that's you. Got it in the mail, and uh, it says, thank you. But it's a letter from some of the people that attended. I want to read it to you guys. It says, dear junior high ministry, thank you for the amazing time at the brunch and bingo on Friday. The food was delicious, and we had so much fun playing bingo and Jeopardy. My husband and I were impressed with each junior high student and enjoyed the ones sitting at our table. Thank you, Riley, Danielle, and Thomas. Best regards, David and Trisha Hayes. And it's just sweet. It's just, a, it's just a cool thing, and it's an encouragement for us. That the things that we put our hands to, God blesses, and he wants to use us, but are we willing today as we come? Will we come out, and will you guys, you guys are going to be leaving in a second. You guys are going to go through those doors. And you're either going to forget everything you just heard or you're going to walk out and you're going to determine to be a doer of his word. I pray it's the second one. I pray that you, as you guys walk out, uh, whether you write it on your bathroom mirror, whether you put a post it up, you remind yourself of these verses, whether you go home and tomorrow morning before you start school, that you just read through James chapter one and let God speak to you. And then once he speaks to you, don't keep that. Now you need to go and share that with others, now that you can go and put that into action. So, God, we come before you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, just for the, how it's practical, Lord, that we can do it, that it's not something like that we have to, I don't know, climb up a mountain on our, on our knees. Lord, it's not something impossible. Lord, that the things that, we ha- that you ask us to do, there's, there's reason behind it. Lord, there's good reason. You know best, Lord. And so, uh, we just submit, Lord, we confess that sometimes we just, we don't do what you want us to do. God, would you strengthen us, Lord, to be able to put into action the things that you've spoken to us? Lord, it comes hardest in those moments that uh, the, the rubber meets the road, in a sense, and we're there and can either choose to do your word or to not. Lord, may we always choose, Lord, you. Lord, because we know that there is always blessing in the path of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.